Thank you for joining the Relief from Grief podcast by Mrs. Miriam Ribiat and Hevra Lomde Mishnah. Our goal is to help you find the chizik you may need and the comfort of knowing that you are not alone. To sponsor an episode, visit hevralomdemishnah.org forward slash podcast and bring comfort to listeners like you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here today with the, on the Relief from Grief podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored the Eli Nishmas Mordechai Pinchas Ben Yehoshua. And if you're interested in any sponsorship opportunities, you can email me at mrebiet at chavalomdemishna.org. Um, okay, today we have Rabbi Plotnik is on the podcast. Rabbi Plotnik is the Rosh Masifta of Yeshiva Kesar Yona in Chicago. He has been active in Rabbanus for over 25 years, and he's a very well-known speaker and also very, very active in links. So Rabbi Plotnik, thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm so excited. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. I should just tell everyone that how helpful you really are to me. Everyone should know that I make Rabbi Platonic a little bit crazy. I ask him all sorts of crazy questions, and he always answers so, so patiently. So this is like a public thank you. <laughs> Everything you said is true. You do make me crazy, and I'm more than happy to answer all your questions. <laughs> okay, well, thank you again. <laughs> <clears throat> so I guess, could we talk about the process of like Shiva? Like, I'm always confused about it, because we all know how healthy it is, and everyone's always like talks about how it's amazing that the Torah tells us exactly how to mourn so that we really go through the process and we really have the opportunity to work through all the pain. But at the same time, it's also very much for the neshama, like the whole mourning period coincides with what's happening with the neshama. Right, that's very true. You know, it's interesting, the Swarim tell us, even though these are ideas that are so beyond our comprehension, but there's a process of period of separation between the neshama and the guf. And there are different stages, shiva, shloshim, the year, times beyond that. But there's still a very close association with the neshama and the person's body immediately after the patira, even though in our minds we can't comprehend what that means. A person is dead, then the neshama and the guf are two entities. But it's not like that at all. And during this time, a mace, a nifter, really has a feeling of what it is that's being said about him or her. They actually have nachas ruach from things that are said about them. There's a well-known Gemara. Where the Gemara says that when Rav passed away, he said, Achim li say warm words about me in your eulogy. Because I'm standing there. And if you learn the Gemara in its simple form, it sounds like Rav is saying, I know exactly what you're going to be saying. And I'm going to appreciate hearing those words, not because Rav wanted to feed his ego, but because a nifter has some kind of a nachas ruach from either appreciating that the things that he said are registered, and just like they're registered down here, they're registered up above, but they actually do have nachas ruach from that. In fact, the Gemara tells us in Masech the Shabbos that even if someone dies without any relatives to sit shiva, we bring people to the house. The Gemara tells us a story that someone had died in the neighborhood of Rabbi Yehuda and there were no menachamim or there were no ones to sit shiva. And the Gemara says every day Rabbi Yehuda would collect 10 people to sit in the house, look covered of the nifter. There's something that gives the nifter nachas ruach. The very fact that people are sitting in his house and the Rambam says, and menachamim would come and give tanchumim. They would talk about the nifter. And the Gemara says that this nifter appeared to Rabbi Yehuda in a dream. And he said, you should feel good. Because you made me feel good. So there's definitely a tayelas, there's definitely a purpose and a tremendous nachas ruach for a nifter that we gather together at a base shiva, at a base oval. We talk about him, we talk about his or her virtues, and they have nachas ruach from them. And yes, certainly it's very, very helpful for the Avedon themselves. Even Goyim understand that, that the Jewish shiva is a very, very good experience for them. It helps them get through that difficult time. So it's a very, very important and hush of a maimed, both for the nifter himself and for the people that are being misnachem, as well as for the menachemim. Sorim tell us that there's a certain nisius oil in chaveroig. We're sharing the burden with the nifter. Some Sforim explain that the neshama feels bad that its old neighbor, its old partner, the goof, the body is no longer there, and it needs nechama. That's why you say, 
in plural, even if there's only one person sitting Shiva, because the Neshama is also, so to speak, sitting Shiva and being this Abel that it lost its guf. So there are a lot of things that are going on at the time of Anicham Avelim, both down here, both up in Shemayim, and it is a very, very chashava and special moment. If I could just mention that often people get a little bit distracted in a base oval and they start talking about things that are completely irrelevant to the nifta. Now, obviously, if the the Avelim are not comfortable talking about the nifter and they want to steer a conversation in a different direction, they're entitled to do that. But certainly that's not the job of the Menachem in this focus should really be on the nifter and all the wonderful things that the nifter did. This might be part of the Nachas Ruach that we spoke about before that the nifter gets. In fact, it's interesting. I once went to the Menachem Oval at a home. The family was not from, they were not religious at all. I had gone to the Levaya. I had some kind of an association with them through the yeshivas that I learned in. And I went to the Menachem Oval. And when I went to the house, I came to their fancy apartment on Lakeshore Drive. It's a very posh area here in Chicago. And when I came in, we were talking for a couple of minutes, and then one of the Avelim gave a bang on the table, and he said, Nichum Avelim. So I turned to him, and I asked him, what do you mean, Nichum Avelim? Isn't that what you're doing here? And he said, no, you don't understand. In our circles, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the Nifter. We're having a party. We're having a good time. But to honor the deceased, we dedicate a half an hour every day just to talk about the deceased person. Oh and God. since you're a rabbi and you came now, so we're going to dedicate this next half an hour just to talk about the nifter. So they themselves have this feeling inside that that's really what you're supposed to be doing, but they're not educated and understanding that that's really the whole point and the whole purpose of the shiva. But this really should be the focus of what's going on in a base level. So is a nachas ruach that they have only like things in like regarding like Torah mitzvahs or could it be like that they had a sense of humor or something like that, that people appreciated, but it's not. Well, it could be the, the fact that someone was part of the community, the part, the fact that someone was part of the kahila, the fact that someone was a trusted friend, someone that people came on to, someone that people enjoyed being in their company. We have no idea how hush of that is. All these things really are hush of in and of themselves. And sometimes you have a person who wasn't necessarily even a material mitzvah, but they did a lot of things that generate a Kiddush Hashem. There's a beautiful vart from Rav Meir Shapiro of Dafyomi fame. Rav Meir Shapiro explained that you know, the, the central theme of Kaddish is Kiddush Hashem. And Rav Meir Shapiro said, the reason why we say Kaddish on a nifter is because every single person is really a walking, talking Kiddush Hashem. The fact that I have a body, that the limbs move, Hashem created that body. Hashem is the one that allows me to talk and allows me to breathe. Every person in some way is a conduit to bring Kiddush Hashem to the world. And when a person passes away, that vehicle that that person was for Kiddush Hashem is gone. So we have to make up for it. So we always say a Kaddish on every nifter to say a Kiddush Hashem statement. And this way we somehow are mashed and we complete that lack of Kiddush Hashem that the world has now because that person is not here. So everybody in some way, shape or form in their life has certainly done something or some things to give HaKadosh Baruch Hu Nachas to make a Kiddush Hashem. And I think that the nifter himself probably appreciates very much the fact that we notice that, we take note of it, and we talk about it, and that might be part of what it is that gives them such nachas ruach when we're in the base oval and the base shiva and we're talking about them. So if they're getting a nachas ruach, does that mean that their judgment didn't start yet? Well, Sorim tell us that judgment starts really when they're being buried. That's the time of the mishpat. Now, as far as what exactly is happening at which moment, it's hard for any of us to know unless we've, we're, we're privy to what's going on in Shemaim. But it does say that the most difficult time of Din is really the time of the Kavura. That's really when the Mishpat is. Now, as far as how all these things play with each other, when exactly they go to where they're supposed to be sent, whether it's to Ganeiden or otherwise, and how this plays in, we can't really know for sure. We just have to do our part. This is what we have been instructed to do. And if we know that this is what gives Nachas Ruch to the mace, and the fact that the mace made this Kiddush Hashem, 
that people are noticing it, that itself is a zechus. So I would imagine that somehow that goes in to the cheshben of the din itself, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu takes that all into consideration as they bring this person to din. But of course, these things are nistarish, these things are very hidden from us. We're only responsible to do what it is that we're told to do, and we are batuach that a Kaddish Baruch Hu takes care of the rest. Without too many questions. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of these things were not made for us to know. Some of them might scare us too much. I remember once I was doing a levaya. The nifter was from, but Nebuch, his children were not, and he had a daughter who was intermarried. And when we were doing the levaya, the nephew of the nifter, who was a very, very hush of a balabayas, he had noticed that they dug the wrong grave. Oh my goodness. And he said, he said, yeah, he said the grave diggers dug the wrong grave. We have to move it. And sure enough, the grave diggers didn't read the map properly. They put them in the wrong place and they had to go and redig another grave because it was a very specific cheshman of who gets buried, who was a whole family plot. And this husband next to his wife and this aunt next to his uncle. And it took us a long, long time until the grave diggers did their job. And meanwhile, this daughter who's intermarried is there with her goyisha husband. And I'm thinking to myself, Nebuch, you know, this is the time of din, it says. The time of the kavur is the time of din. And this is what the Rebbeinu Shalom is seeing, Nebuch, this poor Nifter, who's an Erlach Hayid, he was such a fine person. And his daughter, Nebuch, married a guy, and this is what has to be happening at the time of the Kavura. I didn't even want to think too much about what's going on in Shemaim, and I really don't know what's going on in Shemaim. But when Svarim tell us about the Chaymer and the difficulty of Din, it's certainly something that we want to alleviate from a Nifter as much as we can. So certainly if the Gemara tells us and the Svarim Akdashim tell us that talking about the nifta gives them a nachas ruach, and certainly being the farsane and making a public kiddush Hashem about what these people did, certainly that could act as a zechus, and HaKadosh Baruch will take with it whatever he deems is proper to take. Wow. Okay. Heavy stuff. I know, and I could like ask you 100 questions, but I won't. I'm going to ask you something else. Could you tell us about what we learn about grieving from the Avos and Imahos? So there are a lot of things, really, throughout Chumash and throughout Tanakh. You find by Ram Avinu, he did Hespid, he cried. We find by David and Avshalim, which we'll come back to in a moment, David cried, Avshalim, Beni, Beni, Avshalim, he cried so many times, the Gemara says that with all of his saying of the word Bani, with such emotion, he took Avshalim out from the seven levels of Gehenim. And with the last Bani, he brought him into Gan Eden. Very powerful. The power of Bechi, the power of crying is incredible. You see also in the Torah, the idea of setting aside seven days of Avelus, the seven days of Mesushalach. Hashem held up the Mabel in order for the seven days of Mesushalach to be completed. You find by Yaakov Avinu, yeah, I don't know what that is. What's that, what's that thing with Mr. the Mabel? The Hashem delayed the Mabel for seven days because Mr. Shalach had died. So there were seven days of Avelos for Mr. Shalach, and Hashem didn't want to bring the Mabel before those days were complete out of the honor of being this Abel for Mr. Shalach. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You see, Yosef set aside the days of Avel to Yaakov Avinu. So you would find throughout the Torah and throughout Tanakh that Avelus was something very, very important, and something even the Kadmainim people, before we even had a Torah, something which they understood the importance and the prominence of. I'd like to mention something which I think is, is very chashev. By Avram Avinu, the Pasuk says, by Avram is part the Sarah, the live Kaisa. So we all know that the chaf in the word the live Kaisa is small. And there are many interpretations in Svarim because what the significance of that small chaf is. Some say that Avram Avinu was limiting his crying to Sarah Imenu, which would, of course, make one want to understand why did he want to limit his crying? Why did he want to cry for her so much? And I once had an inspiration based on an experience that I had, which taught me an incredible lesson in how some people are so strong and they're so devoted and committed to the Munah Bashem. It was a family that I was very close with, and they had lost a teenage child in an accident. It was very, very sad. The boy had been learning in yeshiva. And the mother, who was in Avelos, was incredibly strong. 
during the Avelis, the whole entire circle of people that were coming to be Menachem Oval could not get over how strong this woman was. And she spoke of Emuna, and she spoke about how things are Bashert and how things are Bitochen. And Hashem gave her a present for so many years of this young boy's life. It was incredible. After the Shiva was over, I went over to this woman. I was in a position where I could talk to her. And I said that people are amazed at your guvura, at your strength, at your amuna. How do you do that? And she said to me, do you not think that in my private moments when people are not around, I don't go into my room and cry my heart out? Of course I do. But she said, I didn't want to make a chilu Hashem because our family is known for a lot of the chasadim and the tzokis that we do in our community. And I didn't want people to think, how could Hashem do such a thing to this particular family? So I had to show them, at least on the surface, that we're makabled in Shemayim. And of course, it's true, even though it was so hard to put on such a face, when deep down inside, I was breaking apart into pieces. But I didn't want to make a chol Hashem that people should say that Hashem is not just and Hashem is not tzedek. So this is the kind of a face that I had to put on. And I was so inspired from this. I was thinking maybe this is the pshat in this little chaf. Avram Avinu was afraid to cry too much. People are going to say, this is what happens to Avram. He's the amud chesed. Avram is the tzaddik. He's the mentor of the generation. And this is what happens. He comes back from the mitzvah of Akedas Yitzchak, only to find Sarah dead. Maybe Avram was afraid. People are going to say that Hashem is not tzedek. There is no such thing as mishpat. So Avram had to limit his bechi. He had to limit his tears. He had to limit his crying. And he had to be mechazek, other people. As, of course, he deep down inside accepted that this was din shemaim. This is an incredible lesson, if it's shot in the pasuk or not. But this experience that I had taught me a lot. And that is that grace dimension, big people can display incredible things even in their Avelos. And we should all be in this, should all be inspired from that. And we call all an incredible lessons from that. David HaMelech, when Avshalom died, Avshalom was out to kill him. He was out to kill him. And David HaMelech cries when he finds out Avshalom is dead. And he says, B'ni, b'ni, Avshalom, musi, Avshalom, b'ni, b'ni. And as we said before, the Gemara tells us that all these B'nis had incredible value. When a person cries, it has so much value. And we're learning from the Torah and from the Tanakh, the power of the Chi, the power of the Mois. David took this Roides, this child who wanted to kill his own father. And through the power of the Chi, through the power of tears and the power of crying, they are so, so powerful. And when an oval feels that need to cry, which of course they should be crying. Torah gives us a right to cry. We're supposed to cry. It has incredible, incredible power. And it can do a lot of things. And when a person feels at the same time, yes, I'm a kabbal din shemaim, and there's such a thing as tzidok din, I'm accepting that din. But those bechiyas, those tears, we say in the slichos, Hashem should take our tears and put them, put them in his bottle, that one day he's going to take those tears out of those bottles. We have no idea when the Gemara talks about a person is moirid demoyis on an odom kosher. The Gemara talks about how a person should shed tears. When a person passes away, when an Adam Kasher passes away, those tears are worth an incredible amount of zechusim for us, for the nifter. And the Torah understands this, and the Torah encourages it. The Torah doesn't discourage this, the incredible power of tears. On the other side, we know, of course, when Aaron Akoyim lost the two sons, the Pussy says, Aaron had nothing to say, he remained silent. Chasashalom, a person should ever be Misra'im and Shemaim. It's very, very difficult sometimes to accept Din Shemayim. And Aaron knew there's nothing to say. By Yidai Aaron, there was nothing to say. So there's a balance between saying nothing, but on the other hand, a person cries and a person is entitled to all these emotions, this incredible mix of emotions. And these are all Ratz and Hashem. These are all things that the Torah wants. And these are all things that the Torah teaches us is the proper way to approach Avelis on Anashim Gedoylem, and in fact, on anybody who is worth crying over. These Bechiyas have tremendous, tremendous power. So if the crying has so much power, and he could even take him out of Gehenim, then 
why didn't Avram cry? Or why didn't he cry a lot? Well, by Avram Avinu, you know, again, I'm telling you a, a vort. I'm not saying this is necessarily 100% what's really the truth, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs that same kind of bechida, David Yitzhak Avshalom. David Yitzhak Avshalom was in big trouble. He knows Avshalom is not in a good situation. And for David Amelech to plead, although it doesn't really say even in the Gemara that he was davening, it's just the actual agony and the pain of an autumn god like David Amelech. Could be David knew that Avshalom needed all that. And Avram Avinu's case for him and Sarah, he knew who Sarah was. Sarah was the Tadeka, Sarah was the princess of the Israel. So Avram Avinu probably knew how much Bechi he needs for his own personal Tsar. How much Bechi he also realizes he's mekabled in Shemaim. How much Bechi he feels that he needs. How much Bechi that he feels other people have to see. We are not going to be able to measure the Bechi of any great person at all. We don't find that Aaron cried at all here. It says, Vayidai Marayim. So apparently every great person in the Chumash and in the Tanakh probably knows what that shear is. It's an incredible thing. Mendel Kaplan, one of my rebellions, like Hasadik Levrachel, who was a very close Talmud of Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, he told us that Rabbi Hanan, as is well known, had a very stoic personality. You never saw him smile. You never saw him show emotion. You never saw him show emotion. And he said when Rabbi Hanan lost one of his sons, Naftali, who was uh, destined for greatness, Rabbi Hanan cried uncontrollably for seven days during Shiva. As soon as the Shiva was over, Rabbi Hanan looked exactly like he always did. And somebody asked him, I don't know if it was Rabbi Mendel himself or someone else, had asked Rabbi Hanan, like, how did you do that? You turn the switch on and you turn the switch off. And Rabbi Hanan said, what do you mean? The Gemara says, Shiva. Ba'alach is Shiva. Now Shiva's over. It's time to get back to work. Rabbi Hanan had incredible control over his emotions. And Rabbi Hanan was able to control every motion to the absolute most minute measure to be done al Tyra. You can't expect that from everybody, but certainly from the personalities in the Tyra, they also have things that are very oiskechejbint, they're very, very calculated. Avram Avinu certainly knew exactly what he needed to do. David Amelach knew exactly what he needed to do. And Aaron Akayin, no doubt, knew exactly what he needed to do. So the greater the person is, the more they, first of all, have control over their emotions. And second of all, the more they know what their emotion has to be at any given time and place. So certainly the people in the Torah, like everything else about the people in the Torah, were on a completely different plane of greatness and perfection than any of us. But nevertheless, these are lessons that we have to take and we have to understand that the certainly is appropriate. The has an incredible power and the greater ones of us know how much is appropriate when, for how long, and certainly we can just stand in admiration and inspiration from those that show us the way and incorporate it into our own being as much as we possibly can. Oh my goodness, okay. <laughs> It's so confusing. If we have from the Torah so many different examples, then how are we supposed to really know? Like, it's hard to, I don't know. Okay, you're saying we should, everyone has to kind of know for themselves what's the right thing. Is that kind of what you're saying? Great, well, great people do know for themselves what's the right thing. They really do. We can't even begin to think that we can come to the Madrig of Govan Melech or Avram Avinu or Aaron Akain. No. But we. Sh- my point is we should know that what we are doing has tremendous value. That's my point. It has tremendous value. To say that we can turn the sink on and turn the sink off at any given moment, you can expect that from most anybody. Even though Mohanan was just in our time, it was less than 100 years ago. You can't necessarily expect that from anybody. But the Torah wants to let us know that Hesbit is a good thing. The Chi is a good thing. Seven days of Avelus, of Mesushelach, of Yankov Avinu, it's a good thing. All these things are Hashav. So we have to appreciate that when we do observe things in whatever manner we are able to observe these things, we have to realize that they are very, very significant and they are very fragile. My question is, so today's generation, a parent that lost a child, like most people are not, or no one's Vayidom Aaron, like you just said, no one's at any of these madrigas. So how could this be helpful for someone that went through that kind of loss? It's not a natural kind of loss. No, that is definitely not a natural kind of loss. Losing a child, the Gemara says in Saita, that Avram of Shemrim of Gan Eden, they give a person a pass 
that a person should not go into Gehenna, he should go only into Ganadin because he already received his Gehenna in this world by losing a child. There's no bigger Gehenna than losing a child. Right. The pain is incomparable. Someone who was very close to me had lost a child at the age of seven in a tragic accident. I was once talking to his mother years later, 20 something years later. And she told me, you never get over that. You might look like you got over it, but you never get over it. And this is where we have to really buckle down on, on Amunah and Bitochen. And it's really very hard. The truth is that we have to work a whole lifetime. You know, Rav Levenstein, who is renowned as being the great master of Amunah. Rav said, I worked on Amunah my entire life. There's no end to the amount of work a person needs to come to terms with that kind of emunah. Yeah, the word G'daylin, it was a very great Godel in Yushalayim, he was known as the Adaris, or the old David Rabinowitz Tumim. He lived about a hundred and something years ago. The Adaris lost a daughter at a young age. And the Adaris was known, amongst other things, in his godless and learning, he was a very punctual person. And he came to the Leviah noticeably late to his own daughter's Leviah. And somebody asked him afterwards, how come you came late? And he said, because since we're taught in the Mishnah that the same way you make a bracha on good things, you have to make a bracha of Daina Emes on bad things. And he said, it took me a while to achieve that madrega of Kishem. That when I was going to accept this Din Shemayim, it was with the same kinds of feelings that I did when I accept something good that I'm going to accept this zera of bad. So it took me a little while till I reached that madrega. And this is a person who was from the Gedele Hador. They had incredible, incredible emuna, and they had incredible belief that everything Hashem does is letoiz. They understood what the Ragachavar and others have told us, that when an neshama leaves this world early, especially before they had a chance to be Mekayim Mitzvah, they were probably a Gilgul, they were a, a, a second coming of a neshama that had a purpose to fulfill in this world and wasn't able to fulfill it completely. And Hashem sends them down. The Arizal says that every neshama, before it comes down to this world, is given a, a glimpse of different bodies. And neshama is asked, which body do you want to be sent down into in this world? And if the neshama knows that it only has a few years that it needs to achieve perfection, then the neshama makes a choice and it says, I'm going to go into this goof, into this body. And that means that the neshama knows it only needs a little bit of time. And that body is just going to last for as long as the neshama needs for it to serve it and make whatever the chosen it needs. And then it's over, then it goes back. And to believe that be'emunah shlema takes incredible gevurah. I remember once I went to a, a friend of mine's house. He was sitting, Chevy had lost a child very young. I forgot how you two years old, maybe three years old. And I told him this thing from the Arizal, that a neshama before it comes down is given this choice. You choose. And the neshama knows what it needs. And it knows it only has to be here for two years or three years. And then it's fulfilled its tablets. It's fulfilled its purpose. And it goes back. This person was a very hush of the Ben Taira. He told his father-in-law later, he said that from all the Divri Nechama, this is the only thing that I was able to take in as a little bit of a Nechama. I don't know why what I said was better than what anybody else said, but just like when we said before, the Gemara tells us that when a person loses a child, he's going to be released from Dina Shel Gehenim. He's only going to go straight to Ganeid. Some people find that to be the only Nechama. They got something for the Tzoros. They got something for their misery. I got something for it. So everybody reacts differently. Everybody takes it in differently. This is where our emuna, our, our reservoirs of emuna and bitachin come in. And we have to work on this from the day we have any seichel. Because life is full of challenges. Life is full of misgivings. Life is full of gains. Life is full of losses. Life is full of misery. And the only way a person can cope with any of this, the safer archa sadikim, has one parak called Shara Simcha. Half the parak is about Bitochen. He says the only way a person can ever be happy is if they have a tremendous reservoir of Bitochen. And he gives one suggestion after the next about what a person could do can to incorporate Bitochen into his being. 
And this way, he says, when a person is faced with a big challenge, you have that bitachin to lean on that it can at least soften the blow. The blow is going to be hard. Of course, the blow is going to be hard. But whatever reservoir we have built up ahead of time of bitachin, we're going to have to come onto that to get us through difficult times. You see, like as a Rav, do you see the difference in people's pain with different losses? Oh, absolutely. You know, let's say, let's go from the oldest on our way down. Okay. When people lose elderly parents, you know, there are a lot of variables. Some people live very, very long and healthy to some degree until they pass on. Mm-hmm. Some people are sick for the last 20, 30 years of their lives, and it's a very, very difficult challenge for the families if their parents has Alzheimer's or they have some other kind of debilitating disease, ALS, and it's very, very difficult. And you know that deep down inside, sometimes available them a feeling either some guilt that, oh, finally, I'm done with this, with this difficult oil, this difficult yoke that I have on me. Sometimes they feel that the person is in a much better place. Now they get in, they get into Ghana, even the Seichel is back. Well, the Nisham is healthy. They don't have the mental illnesses that they had before, the difficulties they had before. So when you're dealing with families like that, sometimes the pain is nearly not as severe Sometimes, although they won't admit it, but there's a certain sense of relief. And sometimes that base oval is more like a celebration of life than it is in an avelus on death. And again, you know, every oval reacts differently to their particular situation. But I usually find that when you're dealing with elderly parents that have passed away, the difficulty is not usually as hard as it is in other kinds of situations. Now, that's not to mean that just because they're old. They have to die. <laughs> someone told me about a conversation he once had with a very chosh of a Talmud Chacham. He had informed him that someone had passed away. And uh, Shashiva expressed his, uh, his sadness. And his friend said, yeah, but, you know, he was really old. He was over 100 years old. And Mr. Shashiva said back to him, I never knew that old people are high of Misa. What, what do you mean he was old? It doesn't make it any less tragic. They're not obligated to die just because they're old. It's, it's still, it's been Shemayim at work. You know, a person had years to live and Hashem decided those years are up. It's still sad. But deep down inside, again, when it comes to that stage of life, I think the pain is somewhat mitigated by all these different circumstances. When you have parents that pass away at a younger age, that's much more frightening. It makes the Avelim feel much more vulnerable it makes them very scared. They also feel very alone. What's going to be, especially if you still have children in the family that need support from parents and, and they're not there anymore. That's much, much harder. And again, you got to come on to a, a big reservoir of emuna and bitachin. Not so easy. You have to align yourself with people that know how to get you through that very, very difficult time in life. When a person loses a sibling, it's also a frightening thing because you feel very vulnerable. It's my brother, it's my sister. And you have to hear all the different things, whether it's the different chazal we were talking about before. I had a, an experience last Hanukkah, actually this Yortet is coming up uh, the next week. A very close friend of mine, a colleague in, in the Rabbana, someone I learned in Kralo with, he was Mr. on Hanukkah last year. Hi. And I don't know if I ever had a reaction deep down inside to a patira of someone like I did with this person. He was my friend. He was my chavuz. He was a contemporary. I looked at him as young. I looked at myself as young. And all of a sudden, he's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. It was very, very difficult. I had to be mastered him a few times. I was mastered him at his levaya. I was mastered him at another occasion later. That you feel very, very vulnerable. And the Gemara says, Echad mina shemes. One of the Chabura, one of your own that passes away, the whole Chabura really has to worry. There's a very hard on the whole Chabura. So it is much more difficult. And again, you have to come on to what you have inside of you to be able to deal with this. And as you said before, when a person loses a child, that's the most difficult of all. And it's very, very hard. I, I would also mention that when a, when a person loses a spouse, that has a difficulty all its own. There's a vort that I've said over a number of times from my own father, Beit Hatzadik Levracha, who was Nifta when I was all of five years old. 
His yard site was just a couple of days ago, in fact. And really? there's a vort that I saw that my father had written on the back of a bank receipt. We were going through his, his papers one day in my adult life. And he said a beautiful thought. The Gemara says, L'chol yesh tumura, everything can be replaced. Chutz me'eshes except the wife of your youth. Can't replace that. And my father explained that as long as a person has the wife of his youth, you feel connected to your youth, you feel young. When a person loses a connection to that, they feel old. And once a person feels old, you can't replace it anymore. There's no fountain of youth to replace what you lost. You used to feel young. You're not young anymore. Now you feel old because you lost your connection to your youth. It's devastating. It's a different kind of devastation. Because when you lose a spouse, that was my whole past. That was my whole life up until this point. They were my right arm. Mm -hmm. And that can't be replaced. Very, very difficult. That's a pain all its own. And again, depending upon so many variables, different people respond to different things. But certainly, certainly, you have to allow them to be misabled their own way. And I remember years ago, there was a woman here in Chicago. Her husband had a stroke at work on a Friday afternoon. The table was all set for Shabbos. There were flowers on the table. And then she gets a phone call from this man's office that he had a stroke and he was nifter on Sunday. And I was in New York then. And I got a phone call from one of the the relatives and they said, you got to get back here as fast as you can. And I got on a plane literally than I was planning on coming back. And I went straight to the, to the base oval and they were completely out of their mind. They were all married children. It wasn't, it wasn't a house of little kids. It didn't make a difference. So they were all married children, a number of married children. And the Almana was absolutely out of her mind with grief. And during the entire Shiva, she was saying the kinds of things that you never want to hear out of any Yiddish person's mouth about Din Shemaim, how can Hashem really exist? How's it possible that he did this to me? And then every time she would say this, she would apologize to me. I was at the house probably every day of the Shiva at least once. And she would say, I know I'm talking fear, but I can't help it. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I told her, Gemara says that a person is not blamed for what they say, Bishas Tsaram, another mitfas. Person's not blamed for what they say in the time of a tsar. You're in tremendous tsar. Don't apologize. Please don't apologize. And every time I spoke with her, whether it was until the shleishim, whether it was after the shleishim, all the way until the end of the first year, every time we had a conversation, it was the same thing again and again and again about what's Hashem doing and how can He do this to me and is Hashem really there? Sometime after the first yard site. She called me on the phone to apologize again. And she said, you know, I said a lot of things over this past year that I had no business saying. And I want to apologize because you know that that's not really me. And I told her, I know. That's why I told you when you were saying these things. I'm apologizing and, don't, and you don't have to apologize now either. When a person is in that kind of a situation, you lose your Aishas and you lose your husband of 40, 50 years, whatever it was. And it hits you with such a shock. We're not emotionally prepared for that. Unless you're at Sadiq Yisraelim, who's prepared for that? And the Gemara acknowledged that. People are human. And when people have those kinds of reactions, you got to give them a pass for the time being. It shouldn't be permanent, but you got to give them a, a, you got to give them a pass and understand that different people are misabled. It's very, very difficult for them to be macabled in Shemaim. On the other end of the spectrum, you have some people that are incredible or small bearbound. The mirror is Shiva's lost two adult sons. One of them was, was Nebuch. He, he was shot by accident. I think it was by a soldier. Aye. He was in Israel learning. It was Friday morning. He was somewhere, I think it was near a beach or something like that. And a Friday morning, taking a stroll. And someone mistook him for, a, for a, a terrorist and they shot him dead. He had another son who was nifted from an illness. And it was Shmuel Berenbaum, after the loss of his second child, shared a vort. It seems like he'd actually said this word once upon a time. But this is what he was telling people. He said this at the Levaya, I believe, of his second child. He said that, why is it? It says that by the Akedah, it says the Malachim were watching the Akedah, and it says, Niftuchu HaShemayim. The heavens opened up, and they cried, and those tears went into Yitzchak's eyes, and that's why Yitzchak went blind, was from the tears of those Malachim.
So he asked the question, what does it mean, Niftahu HaShemayim, the heavens, the angels can't see through the heavens? There's too much, too much ozone, they can't see through the heavens? What does it mean, Niftahu HaShemayim, and their tears went into Yitzhak's eyes? But he said an incredible thought, which is just so fitting for an autumn godel like Rishmol Birnbaum. He said that there are two ways to see everything. There's the way we see it down here, and then there's the way to see it from Shemaim, or what's really, really happening, and what's behind what's happening, and what are the ramifications of what's happening. He said anybody looking at what happened to Akedas Yitzchak from Shemaim, with a look of Shemaim, understands this is all part of Hashem's master plan, and Shemaim, everything makes perfect sense. Down here, it's very, very tragic, and it doesn't make any sense. So he says, Niftuchu HaShemaim, the heavens, so to speak, opened up so the Malachim could have the perspective, not of Shemaim, where they come from, but they'll have the perspective from down here because only down here will that make the Malachim cry because only down here do they look at it as tragedy. And Hashem needed that the Malachim should cry so Yitzchak should go blind. So therefore Yaakov was going to get the brachas when he had to give the brachas to Yaakov and Esau. So in Shemayim, this all makes perfect sense. So if the Malachim retain their perspective of Shemayim, they're not going to cry. But Niftuchu Shemayim, the Shemayim's opened up, which means that the Malachim were given a perspective from down here. Down here, it looks tragic. Down here, you cry. So the Shmuel Birnbaum said, what's their room to complain and to, to cry too much down here? In Shemayim, this all makes perfect sense. This is what an autumn Godel reacts on the loss of two adult children. He can say such a thing. Wow. How many people can say such a thing? It's incredible. It's an incredible thought. But Grace had mentioned big people think big ideas. They think big thoughts. Wow. So, yeah, it's a, very, it's a very, very difficult. It's a very, very difficult thing to deal with. I think it's very well known. It's printed in Swarim. The great Ramban had a Talmud who was very, very sick. And his, his days were numbered. And the Ramban knew that he was going to die. And the Ramban said, do me a favor. I have a number of questions that I need to ask up in Shemayim. Do me a favor. I'm going to take this little piece of paper with the questions. I'm going to bury it with you. Take it with you to Shemayim. Get answers to my questions and come back to me somehow in a vision and tell me the answers to my questions. Sure enough, a few days later, Talmud passes away. And he comes to the Ramban in a dream and he tells the Ramban, you know, I went to go ask your questions. And when I got here, I realized that these questions are not questions. And the Ramban told him, thank you. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. Really? They're only questions because, cause, yeah, because of my perspective down here, they're questions. Once you get up there, they're not questions anymore. The Ramban expresses appreciation for his time of telling him the news and the Ramban was at peace. So when a person dies, they mamash got full clarity on like every single thing? Well, I can't promise every single person does, but there's some kind of a level of clarity, which uh, the Rambam seems to write, that everybody gets some kind of level of clarity about things. Yes. Um, is it something that anybody down here can say that we got up there and here's our report? We don't know, but there's so many, so many stories, incredible stories of G'daylum that went nifter and they came back to people and they told them, Lalta from Slabotka came back to people and he said that in Shemayim is so, so mocked on Chatoyim that have to do with Chet HaLoshin, Loshin Hara. They're incredibly mocked on that in Shemayim. Lalta from Slabotka was given permission to come back, to come down and do these things, to tell people these things. Now, does everybody always have the right to come down? From what we understand, it's not so simple. You know, a lot of times you want to dream a deceased parent or a Rebbe or a Rosh Hashiva and you want them to come down and give you answers to their questions. Or you have a dilemma. What should I do? You want them to come down and say, you know, we can't just summon them like that so fast. It doesn't happen. Mm. So why sometimes Hashem allows people to come down and why not? We don't know. Rechatzka Levenstein said that when the, when the Mir Yeshiva was in Shanghai, and of course he was there with them, they ran into a lot of questions that needed answers. There were so many problems they had to deal with over there in the Mir. And he said every time he had a question that he didn't know what to do, he would dive in that his Rebbe, Reb Daniel Mavshavitz, who had already died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, should come to him in a dream and give him the answers. And he said it worked every single time. Really? Yeah. So if you're holding on that Madrega of Rav Chatzka Levenstein, maybe you can pull a rabbit out of a hat, or you can pull your Rebbe out of Shemaim. 
I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count on it. I've tried this a number of times. It hasn't worked once. Yeah, so did I. So. Yeah, you know, I've been visited. I must say, I'm not embarrassed to say, I've been visited by a lot of Yudayim. I've been visited by my parents. I've, I've had a lot of beautiful memories from things that they were either megala to me or things that they shared with me or even just an embrace. I remember not long after my mother had passed away, it was already after the Shloshim, I, I, it's hard for me to tell over because it just makes me cry. But it was an incredible feeling you know, to see your mother and, and to be able to give her a hug after she's already in the next world. We, we have no idea how these things work. We don't know the chusim it takes to have. People come back and be megala things to you. And we also don't know how difficult it is from the other side. They can't just come to Hashem and put in a, a request. And I'd like to go down to my son, my daughter, and my daughter-in-law. I just said a couple of things I want to share with them. It doesn't work like that. So who is Zaycha to that? Who knows? If we're Zaycha to such an opportunity, cherish it and take it. But again, you know, the closer we are, the more relationship we have with Hashem. This is the way we deal with everything. We deal with Avelis like this. We deal with Saras like this. We have to bridge the world between Olam Hazer and the world above. And that's really the only way we can ever come to terms with any of these challenges, whether it be Avelis or anything else. We have to live a Dehoi a life. We have to live a life where our heads are really in the Shemayim, even though our feet are really down here on earth. Wow. Okay. We started a long time ago, so it's probably time to like finish, to end off. And I want to thank you so much. I think the lessons that you've given are like so major and they're going to be so appreciated. Can I, can I just share with you one, one or two last thoughts? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a Pasuk in Kohelas in the third parak, where the Pasuk contrasts a lot of different periods in life. The time to be born, the time to die. We're very familiar with that parak. Yeah. And one Pasuk says, Ace lispod the Ace lirkod. There's a time to eulogize and there's a time to dance. And you would not pick those two things as being the same kind of opposites like all the other things mentioned in that puzzle, a time to build, a time to destroy, a time to be born, a time to die. What, what, what's the opposites exactly between hesped, between eulogy and rikida and dancing? Though We wouldn't seem to pick those two things as the perfect, the perfect opposites. And I was thinking once that hesped, eulogy, is a a reflection on the past. That's what Hesped is. You eulogize in the past. The word Rikida, which describes dancing, there are a number of words that we have in Lashon HaKadosh that describe dancing. One word is Mechoyl, to go around in a circle. Rikida is an expression of either bouncing up and down or going forward. One of the Malachas of Shabbos is Merakid, to sift, because when you sift something in a sifter, the flower jumps up and down. Mm-hmm. Rikida means to move, to move forward, or to move even up and down. And perhaps the message of the Pasuk is that, you know, sometimes you have to reflect on the past, aceless pose. And then it comes a time in life when it's aceler code. It's time to move forward. Yeah, in English, they say you got to move on. But we have to know that Avelos, it has an end. You know, the Gemara tells us halachas that are tied into Shiva, into Shleishim, and Taishana. But a person's neshama has to heal. And we can't always be stuck on the time of aceless pose. We have to give ourselves a little bit of Aceler code. We have to give ourselves a way to heal and to be able to move forward and to move on with the lessons, not Shalom, to forget the Nifter, but with the lessons of the Nifter. And we all have the capacity to do this. I'll just end with this one last thought. It says that when, when Adam Arishain met Cain, after Cain killed Hevel, he killed Adam's only other child. He murdered him in cold blood. And the Medjur says, what did Adam Arishan say when he met Cain? He said, Ma'ala Bedimcha. What happened in your judgment, Cain? How'd they judge you? But Cain answers Adam, the Medjur says, Osisi Tshuva Venispasharti. I did Tshuva. And we reached some kind of a compromise. We, we, we reached some kind of a deal. So Adam Arishan bangs himself on his head, the Medjur says, and he says, I, if I only would have known the power of Tshuva. That's the conversation. One of my rebbeim, Reb David Pavarsky, he was a Rosh Hashiv in Panovich, he said, this is Adam Arishan's whole reaction to the murder of his son? One brother went and murdered the other brother. And this is all Adam Arishan has to say is, hey, what happened to you, Kain? How'd they treat you? What did Hashem do to you? 
And when Cain gives him his answer, Hashem told me, hey, there's such a thing called tshuva, and it works. Adam was so happy, because, oh, great, if I only would know what tshuva was, I would have done tshuva also from the chet that he David learned from this that one of the most important parts, if not the most important part, of how a person has to approach Avelos is what can I take with me from the Avelos? Yeah, Adam was probably miserable. The Torah doesn't have to tell us that Adam was miserable. But after you're done with the miserable, now what do I take with this? What do I take with me? Kayan taught me something. He taught me the power of Shuvu. When a person is Miss Abel on whoever it is that they're being Miss Abel, take something with you from it. No, now I have an opportunity to think about what a wonderful life they lived or the great deeds that they did or the great friend that they were or the mitzvahs that they did, whatever it is, take something with you. The Torah is teaching us in the very first time that we're exposed to death. This is the lesson the Torah teaches us the very first time we're exposed to death. What can I take from it? What can I learn from it? What can I do to be right to go move on further in life. And this is really the most important thing for Avelim. When they're ready for this, of course, that during show is not the time. But when the time comes and they can sort of exhale a little bit and come to terms on some higher level of what they've just been through, let them honor that person that they will miss Avalon and take something with them from their lives and to make themselves a better person as a result of that. Wow, that's so nice. I appreciate so much you giving me this opportunity to talk. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And we should have only some hugs. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to an episode by Mrs. Miriam Ribiet. For more episodes or for additional information about future episodes, visit our website at www.chevralomdemishna.org or email mribiet at chevralomdemishna.org. To submit questions or comments for this speaker, to suggest another speaker who might be mechazek others, or to sponsor a podcast, visit chevralomdemishna.org forward slash podcast. 